Thank you for joining us on WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg, Queen of Perpetual Help. Welcome to another edition of Local Matters. On this week's broadcast, we're glad to bring you once again, Father Elias Mary, who is of the Friars of the Immaculate, and he is here to tell more stories of Our Lady of Akita with our own Marianne Herald. This is part one of a two-part series. Well, it's a wonderful day because we have Father Elias Mary back with us to talk more about his favorite subject, the Blessed Mother. And especially today, we're going to be continuing on about the saga of Our Lady of Akita. Father, thank you for coming back. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for welcoming me back again. It's always a pleasure to speak about Our Lady and and her importance in our world today. So thank you for the opportunity. Okay, so maybe we could begin with a a prayer. Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary, Mother, Mother of God, God, pray for us sinners, pray for us sinners now, now and at the hour of our, our death. death. Amen. Amen. And let us also pray the prayer to that Our Lady gave Sister, well, that the handmaids of the Holy Eucharist were praying there at the time, and still pray today there in Akita. Most sacred heart of Jesus, truly present in the Holy Eucharist, I consecrate my body and soul to be entirely one with your heart, being sacrificed at every instant on all the altars of the world, and giving praise to the Father, pleading for the coming of his kingdom. Please receive this humble offering of myself. Use me as you will for the glory of the Father and the salvation of souls. Most Holy Mother of God, never let me be separated from your divine Son. Please defend and protect me as your special child. Amen. Amen. Beautiful prayer. Lady of Akita, pray for us. Yes, everyone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Lady of Akita, pray for us. I hope you're praying with us. Thank you for tuning in today. I think this is going to be an explosive program because we have so much to tell you, more than the first one in the second part, too, that we've received many hits on YouTube. Please share the message with other people. Father, what would you like to talk about today? Well, first of all, I thought I would, judging of some of the comments that were made from the previous two interviews or talks that you aired, there was a couple of things I wanted to comment on. One was I wanted to further emphasize the importance of Father Yasuda, who was um, the priest that I had mentioned, who was the chaplain for the sisters there in Akita at the time of the apparitions. It's providential that Father came there kind of by, well, there's no such thing as an accident, but he came there because there was a bad snowstorm when he was visiting in that area, and the sisters hadn't had mass, and so he was not the chaplain at the time, so Someone told him that these sisters, this newly founded group, this is like around 1973, so they were only founded in 1963, that these 10 sisters were up there in this convent in Akita, and they needed to have mass. So this gentleman drove him up this hill. 
he said the last part, you know, they had to plow the snow, follow a bulldozer to get to the convent to say mass. And he was just impressed by the sisters and their poverty. And that led him to already there was some talk about mystical experiences going on there. And eventually through divine providence, he was assigned there as the sister chaplain. And he became really the theologian in confidence of Bishop Ito, that if he had a question about the the messages, he looked to Father Yasuda to give further commentary or explanation, so that when Father Yasuda said that he believed when he witnessed the fact that Sister Agnes couldn't open her hand to receive communion, that he was inspired that they shouldn't be given communion in the hand to the sisters or as a practice at the convent. Bishop Ito never contradicted him. And as a matter of fact, in his book on that he translated by Father Yusuda, um, John Hafford says that Father Yusuda was chosen, picked especially by Our Lady, to be a help to Sister Agnes in promoting the message and its meaning. So the fact that he understood this I think gives greater credence to his interpretation that communion in the hand was not pleasing to Our Lady. Now, people will say, well, communion in the hand was given in the early church. It was given in the early church, but not like people think it is. It wasn't given like it is today. It wasn't given to people the way it's being done now in the post-Vatican II this abuse that was introduced by the bishops in Belgium and France. In the early church, when they did give communion to people who were lay people, only men could receive communion on the hand, and they had to take it directly to their mouth without touching it. Ladies could not receive communion on a bare hand. They had to have like a little corporal that they put on their hand, and they couldn't touch the host with their hand or even have it laid on their palms. And that this practice was stopped in the early church because of a lessening that they saw of reverence for our Lord's real presence in the Blessed Time. Even with those, you might say, the way they did it in those days, which was even more formal than what we're doing today, they still saw that it led to lessening in the reverence of the Blessed Sacrament, and they stopped it. It wasn't until this abuse, or actually... Communion in the Hand was introduced by, actually, Oliver Cromwell in England during the time of the Protestant Revolt there, with the purpose of trying to lessen people's belief in the real presence. So that was a, an innovation of the Protestant Revolution there in England with Oliver Cromwell and company. And it wasn't then brought up again in the Catholic Church until, as I said, this abuse that was being practiced in Belgium at the time. And as I said in the previous talk, that communion in the hand was being introduced at that time, 1973, in Japan through this influence that the French had in Japan, because the first missionaries that came after they opened up to the West were from France. So there was, there's always been kind of a close association with France, with the church in Japan. And even when they finally promoted the miraculous medal, in Japan, they didn't have a word for metal, and they took the word for 
in French for metal, madai, and uh, made a phonetic word for that in Japanese kanji to to be the word that they used for metal in the Catholic circles there. Later on, they came up with a, a word in modern Japanese for metal, medaru, but most of the Catholics in Japan still understand medai as the metal for any kind of religious metal, but especially the miraculous metal, as being Madai and not Midaru. And that's a, a whole other story that, uh, that I can't get into right now. But um, So Father Yasuda is a very important figure, and his understanding of the messages are very important. Matter of fact, uh, his book on the messages is considered to be the most authentic explanation and meaning of the messages of Our Lady at Akita. Is that Pardon? book still in print? I think it's, unless, there used to be an organization called the 101 Foundation. Yes. It was started by John Haffert, uh, who started the Blue Army, uh, World Apostle of Fatima, and that whole, he also started another organization called the 101 Foundation for the 101 times that Our Lady wept. And that book was offered through the um, 101 Foundation, but you can find it online as a PDF. Someone put it and posted it online. If you just type in Our Lady of Akita and Father Yasuda, Y-A-S-U-D-A, you'll find it as an online PDF, and you can just download it for free if you want. But um, the hard copy, I don't know. I've not heard anything or have not seen anything by the 101 Foundation. I don't know if it still exists or not, but uh, they used to lead pilgrimages to um, Akita. I don't know uh, if they still do, but back in the early part of the, uh, until like 2000 and something, I think they were leading pilgrimages there. Another thing that I would highly recommend for the audience to watch was an old documentary that was put out by... Uh, a Catholic uh, documentarian. He put together these beautiful videos, and one of them was Hill of Redemption, which is the story of Catholicism in Japan. And John Bird had this unique way of trying to show that there's an old saying that's even used in our Liturgy of the Hours, God's providence is revealed through history. And in his way of approaching it, he shows you how God's providence was acting from the very moment that the faith came to Japan in the time of St. Francis Xavier, all the way throughout its history, he shows all these connecting things and shows you and brings you up to eventually the message of Our Lady of Akita that was, you might say, the culmination, you might say, and kind of a high point in Catholicism in Japan and the point for the fact that Our Lady came and personally gave this message in Japan a country that experienced twice the ravages of a nuclear bomb, which brings me to another point that some are saying online, well, some authority says that it's the virus that is this fire that is coming down from heaven. Well, as bad as the virus is, or the vaccine, I don't think uh, one can get that from the internal, you might say, evidence and from the connections that when Our Lady gave the messages at Akita, she said, fire coming down from heaven. And everybody has understood that to be some kind of either a nuclear 
kind of bomb because even as the children at Fatima saw the sun coming down to the earth, one of the things that the people commented when the bombs went off in Hiroshima and Nagasaki was that the first thing they saw was they thought the sun the sun had 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 hit the earth because of this great flash of light that emanated in the heat that came from the nuclear bomb that I think it's a far stretch to somehow kid to make that connection to being the vaccine or the virus. Of course, they're evil. They're man-made bioweapons and man-made things to cause havoc and destruction. But I think that uh, the more obvious connection is that Our Lady was referring to, that if we don't change and take up her message of prayer and penance and making reparation, that uh, we're going to suffer for the sins of humanity, which um, one of them would be a terrible thing. Uh, as nuclear war. So I just wanted to make that clear that I think those are some points that ought to be kind of addressed from the previous interviews. Thank you. But uh, I think it's important that also that we understand that Our Lady at Akita is also pointing to the importance of Our Lady's role in redemption. You mentioned this, I think, the last time, but I think it's important people realize the importance of the fifth Marian dogma for bringing about really the conversion and if you want to lessen or to prevent some kind of great chastisement. And I think that it's important to promote the fifth dogma that Our Lady is Cardemptrix and Mediatrix of all graces. As I mentioned about the 101 times that Our Lady wept that I think it's so important that, uh, you know, Our Lady, through Sister Agnes's guardian angel, made it clear to her why the statue wept 101 times. I think we talked about that briefly, that, you know, the first one represented Eve, who got us into this terrible predicament through her cooperation by listening to the serpent and brought us destruction, uh, the original sin through Adam, by her cooperating with the devil, you might say. And so the zero represents the eternity of God who stands between and governs all things. And the one, the second one, it represents the new Eve, Our Lady, who by her obedience to the angel Gabriel, to the messages of wanting her to become the mother of God, repaired the damage caused by the first Eve. That's even from an old prayer, the... Um, Alma Redemptoris Mater, that, uh, that makes a play on this, of uh, the word Ava, our first mother, and the Ave of Angel Gabriel to Our Lady, Ave Gratia Plena, that Ave of the Angel Gabriel undid the, the sin of Ava uh, at the beginning of time by her cooperation. So this 101 times that Our Lady wept, was, as the guardian angel told Sister Agnes, the significance was of the importance of Our Lady's role in the work of redemption, that she cooperated in a unique way in the objective redemption of all mankind, along with her son, not because God had to do it this way, but because God willed to do it this way. Just as the first Adam 
had a cooperator, you might say, a co-pecatrix, if you want to call her, a co-sinner in Eve, who helped bring about his fall because she listened to the serpent and he cooperated with that. So the new Adam, Christ, had a new Eve who cooperated as his co-redemptrix, she who was with the Redeemer in the work of redemption to repair the damage, which also, you might say, forever would elevate and would not always, you know, if, if our Lord didn't, have, uh, you know, in his providential plan, it was fitting that he asked his mother to cooperate, that a woman cooperate in the help of, or in the work of redemption, it always, we could always say, well, the women would always get the bad rap, you might say. Well, Eve, you listened to the serpent. You're sorry, way we're all in this trouble. But now we can, women are elevated because the woman, the new Eve, listened to the good angel, and forever we might say we forget about, in one sense, the bad that was done, and we now focus on the fact that the greatest, most salutary member of our human race, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the greatest creature of God, you know, she's a creature, total creature, whereas Christ in his human nature was created, but he's a divine person, that the greatest work of creation is God's own mother, who is a woman, who said yes to God, and forever is our nature's salutary boast, has elevated women to such a high degree that we honor the mother of God, because Christ honors her and loves her. And it's so important, I think, that we get back to what is the problem that we have today is a certain degradation of women. There's a war on women, they say today, you know, in the moderns. But the war on women began first in the garden with the war on the woman. The woman being, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because as Franciscans, we believe that in something called the absolute primacy of Christ, that God intended the incarnation from all eternity, and that's revealed to us in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that he said that God chose us in Christ, meaning Christ, meaning the Word joined to his human nature, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before he created anything, God already had in mind the incarnation, that when he created, let there be light, then he formed the heavens, and then he separated the land from the sea. All those things that he did were in preparation for the incarnation. Amazing. But as it says in philosophy, what is first in intention is last in execution. First in intention was God's incarnation. His son would become man. But he took many steps, intermediary steps, before he got to that point where he sent the angel Gabriel to the Blessed Virgin Mary, to finally make it happen in history, in time, when he sent the angel Gabriel to Our Lady. So what is first in intention, it's like when you build a house, you have the blueprint, but it's all on paper, all in your mind, you might say, what you want to do, but you have to go then take concrete steps to bring it about. Right. And so, like you say, I'm going to go to the store. Well, my first intention is I'm going to go to the store. Well, you just don't go to the store as soon as you think of it. Now you got to take all these practical intermediary steps to get to there. Uh, 
for God, he could have done it in an instant, but he did this in time because he knows that being creatures, we need time to be prepared and to dispose us and just that this is the way God did things. But eventually, what is first in intention, the house or going to the store, finally is completed in act by being finally you have the finished product, the house, or you finally make it to the store after all those steps of getting out of your house, getting in your car, driving, whatever. So absolute primacy of Christ is that God intended the incarnation from all eternity and that what was the test of the angels what was their test so that they could either be proven to be faithful to God or not? They had to have a test just like Adam and Eve had a test. And their test was that God revealed to the angels his plan for creation of the incarnation. And we see that in Revelations chapter 12. We see that already, that idea is there. It's not something that was made up by the fathers and doctors. It's scripturally based, and you can see it from that the book of Apocalypse, because it says, St. John says, I saw the Ark of the Covenant come down from heaven, and you'd think that he'd be talking about a, a wooden box covered with gold. You know, the, the Ark of the Covenant was that Old Testament uh, Ark of the Covenant. No, he says, the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars. And then he goes on and talks about this battle between the woman and the serpent, who goes after her and her child, but they are taken in you know, some of the angels fall from heaven. The serpent takes a third of the stars, meaning the angels with them. They fall from heaven, and they come to earth, it says, where they go on to wage war against the rest of her children. That's, of course, you and, and I. So, mm-hmm. but the point I'm trying to point out is that the test that seems that what uh, Lucifer and those who who followed him, they could accept that Jesus would still be the Son of God because he'd be a divine person. Although he'd have a human nature joined to his divine person, which would be lower than the angels, as the scripture says, that our Lord became lower than the angels when he said, a body you have prepared for me, but he'd still be God. They could still worship him as God because he'd still be a divine person. But what Lucifer and his minions could not accept is that the mother of the son, who would be a human person, not an angelic being, and not divine, but a human person, which would be lower than the angels by nature, but higher because she would be elevated as the mother of God and full of grace by her immaculate conception, and because she'd be the mother of the king, because Christ the king, she would be the mother of the king, but make her the queen And so she would be the queen of heaven and earth. She would be the queen of the angels. And that is what Lucifer and his minion could not accept. Non servium, I will not serve, means ultimately and primarily he would not serve the mother of the son. So I think that's important because why did the serpent, Lucifer, but you lost that name. He's not Lucifer anymore. He's the serpent, Shatan. Why does he go after the woman first? and not Adam, because he probably thought God's plan was going to be carried out right away, and that the woman is going to be, of course, the mother of the divine son. And so if he can taint the fountain, you might see at the source, at the first woman on earth, 
Then he thinks, I have messed up God's plan. But God revealed to them in Genesis 3.15, you don't have the right woman. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between her seed and yours. You shall strike at her heel, and she shall crush your head. And it is proper, I think, and, and most fitting and more accurate to have it she, not he, because, of course, Christ is going to crush the head of the serpent, but the whole parallelism there is between the woman and the serpent, between her seed and his brood. And so why do you change the, the pronoun to, to he at the last minute? Because it's she who's going to do it. God's going to do the crushing of the head of the serpent through the woman, which brings a greater humility to the devil, that he's crushed by someone lower than him in nature, but higher than him in grace. And that it brings, of course, also the greatest glory to God. So I think it's important because there's this anti or this low level or it's a minimalism about Our Lady. It's even in the church today, it's sad to say, that wants to portray Our Lady. She's just like you and she's just like me and she's no different than any other first century Jewish, you know, woman, which is not true. True. She is the Immaculate Conception. She's the Mother of God. And St. Maximine Colby says, for you to understand that great mystery of what it means to be mother of God or immaculate conception, you have to be God mm-hmm. to understand that mystery. Very well completely. put. Very well put, Father. So, so I just think that it's important that the message of Akita is trying to show us the way out of this predicament that we're in. And sad to say that many in the Church who should be in a position to get us out of this predicament are not listening You know, and even we see this kind of, well, you know, the message of Akita has no relevance for our day. Well, they're not, they either have not read the messages of Akita or they've not been reading the news today because you can see very clearly that it's very relevant for our time, especially with what's going on in the church. Yes. I just want to make one point out to you. Uh, I have many people around me, surrounding me, that are suffering like Sister Agnes. I think it's wonderful that you brought forth how her suffering in your your first interview here was relevant and how she had those spirits that were seen and she couldn't swallow. Mm -hmm. I I think that's very, very important. And then I saw the Cardinal uh, Archbishop Vigano was saying, because I have been afflicted, and many of my friends with great suffering this year, that we are to Mm -hmm. offer this suffering for Mm -hmm. the problems in the church, for the sanctification of the church. That is like, you think we're going to do it for the holy souls. The church is very important now with the possible schism, with the bad things Mm -hmm. going on. So if anybody out there, I just want to share this with you. If you are suffering... With no matter, I just found out two more people have lymphoma like I just got diagnosed with, that if you're suffering, it is a blessing in a great way to suffer for the Lord, to suffer for the sanctification of the church. And bravo to those who are brave enough to do that. When I go into a hospital now and I see all these suffering people, I say, my God, thank you so much for these blessings. If we can only learn to turn it around and that's my, my personal take. And the other thing I want to mention, Father, if we don't get to mm-hmm. it in this uh, session, is about how our personal WQPH became involved with the message of Our Lady of Akita. It came about by 
my friendship with Maria Siraco, and she had a pilgrim go to Garabandal with her that contacted her and said, Sister Agnes wants this message to go through the world. And so if you go on our website, you will see the whole story of how that came about. That's all the time we have this week. Tune in next week at this same time for the conclusion of this broadcast. Thank you for listening to another edition of WQPH's Local Matters. We hope you enjoyed the broadcast and hope you have a blessed week.